So for me, I was like, if I don't stop, I could blow this ankle out so bad that I could actually need surgery. There's so many lessons to mine for, especially in the DNFs and the disappointing races. That's where all the learning comes from. That was us, Kim and Carolyn, and this is episode 104 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. It's just Kim and I today discussing a subject that's not talked about nearly enough. The DNF did not finish. We start by sharing about our most recent DNFs, which happened for entirely different reasons. Then we explore other reasons why a DNF might happen, how much dwelling on it is productive, why processing your feelings is important, how to mine for any hidden lessons, what we mean by little quits and what to do if they become a pattern, how to move on from a DNF and even help others in the process, and finally, why forgiving yourself is key. We hope this episode is informative and instructive, and for anyone who has experienced a DNF or disappointing race in their running career, we also hope it makes you feel less alone. And now, on to our deep dive on the DNF. So, Carolyn, here we are, catching up on uh, uh, with each other on an episode with just the two of us. How are you doing today? Not too bad. And you? I, I'm good. Yeah, it's been quite a season. Your season isn't over yet as far as races, but mine is. And we thought that we would take this time together today to catch up with each other, but also kind of talk a little bit more specifically about the whole thing that is the did not finish, the DNF. Such an important topic. Such an important topic that we don't frankly talk about enough, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. There's so many different reasons why, you know, people won't don't finish races. And, Mm -hmm. and we wanted to kind of talk about some personal experiences we've had and that we've observed this this year and even last year. And then also, as we move into the fall, that's when a lot of people start planning their race seasons for next year. And then how can you move from maybe a disappointment that you had mm-hmm. um, in your current year as you move forward into planning your next year and and hopefully making it more successful. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So shall we talk about all of that stuff, Carolyn? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Now, why don't we kick it off with maybe you can tell us a little bit about your year. I know back in, I think maybe early April, you did the Gorge Waterfall 100K. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think we've debriefed about that one yet, but I think you had an incredible, incredible race there. And you went from that to uh, you had a 120 mile race on the calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what month was that? that in? That was in August, early August. That was in yeah. August. And that yeah. was a DNF, uh, the, the subject of our, yes. of our talk yes. today. So yes. maybe first, why don't you just talk to us a little bit about that specific event of like coming off something great and then going into the next event. And that is a disappointment or, or something that you weren't expecting. Yeah. Okay. So to, to just put it in a little context, yes, I had the Gorge Waterfalls 100K, I think it was April 1st or 2nd near Portland. And that race went really, really well for me. I was trained well. I felt amazing. I ended up running strong right into the finish in almost a perfectly even split, which is 
really hard to achieve in an ultra, sometimes because of course profile, it depends where the biggest climbs are. But overall, I felt like, you know, really confident, really strong after that race. And throughout the summer, I had some life stress thrown at me. But the biggest thing was that I badly sprained my ankle six weeks before Fat Dog 120, which is in Manning Park, BC. I had been there oh, six years ago um, and did the 70 miler uh, there and was just shell-shocked by the beauty of the course and had a really good run there six years ago. So when some friends and I decided that we wanted to go back again this year, I was really excited to push myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of going all over the place here, but the intent, the whole purpose, the reason that I put that one on my calendar is UTMB is still a big goal of mine. And I wanted to test myself in an event that was going to push me potentially through two nights with some significant vert and technical trails, which is very similar to what I would be encountering at UTMB. So I was really excited to explore, you know, some trail naps and how my body would respond on um, lack of sleep. But with this bad ankle sprain that I um, experienced six weeks before Fat Dog, I I headed into that race definitely not 100%. I was very well rested. (laughs) I was under trained for running. I had done a lot of hiking post sprain, which let's be honest, in, you know, 120 miles with Mm 10,000 meters of vertical, there's a lot of hiking. So it wasn't lost training. It's just, I didn't feel like I had necessarily done the miles and the hours on feet that I really wanted to do. And I was, I thought my ankle was, was rehabbed. Well, I, there was no swelling left. There was no pain left. I thought it was, it was good going into that Mm -hmm. race. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to August now and, and I headed into fat dog and, oh, it was probably about 60, 70 K into the race. My ankle blew up. It, Mm -hmm. it did not handle the uneven ground in the dark on a kind of a cambered slope very well. And it started to give me some problems. And so I, I actually deconstructed this, what goes through a person's mind Mm -hmm. in a blog post where I I did my, my race report. So we can maybe link to that in the show Mm -hmm. notes because the psychology of a DNF to me is especially one that isn't obvious where you're not catastrophically injured, where you haven't timed out, like where you're having to start to make decisions about Mm -hmm. what to do is really interesting. And Carolyn and I were just chatting a little bit about this before we started recording. Um, And we'd like to explore a little bit of the differences between like an ultra DNF, trail DNF versus maybe a shorter distance, like a 10K or a half marathon or a marathon. But you know, the the curious thing with ultra running and, and these ridiculously long races where really just finishing for a lot of us is is the prize, you know, like (laughs) just forget about time. Just finishing is a significant, significant accomplishment. So you have to go into these races with irrational confidence. You have to be like so focused and so narrow minded about this is getting done no matter what. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if it's raining. It doesn't matter if it's snowing. It doesn't matter how much pain I'm in. It doesn't matter if there's literally no skin left on my feet this is happening no matter what. And you have to like get yourself so in that mindset that after, especially after you've been doing these races for several years, it is a thousand times harder to quit than it is to keep going. 
Mm. And I know that sounds like crazy <laughs> when you're saying, yeah, this doesn't sound fun, Kim. Like <laughs> I would want to quit something. I didn't that say that like out that. loud. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's true. It's like, you just, you can't, and you know, it actually is really psychotic. It really is uh, the mindset that you have to get yourself into to get through some of these, these races. And so I'm out there on the course and I just ignoring the pain, like just totally ignoring the pain is, it's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. Let's just keep going. Like I'm very good at just blocking that out. Right. Or, and just, uh, keeping moving. And until I noticed that I was significantly limping and the physio in me yeah, is starting to yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah. like this, this, this loud thunk <laughs> every time my left foot hits the ground is starting to get louder and louder and louder. And so at a certain point, I actually made myself check in. I'm like, okay, maybe I should pay attention to this ankle pain. What does this feel like? And I'll admit it wasn't feeling great, but I was still moving decently. And I'm like, you know what? Like, let's just keep going. Cause sometimes these things get better after a while, like they just go away. Right. I just had a run that I started feeling with a lot of pain in my leg. And by the time the run was done, I felt great and it hasn't come back. And I'm like, great. Motion is motion. Like it just, sometimes things just work themselves out. So I hope that that was going to happen. There's rough patches in, in races often, even as short as, as short as a marathon. So you could rationalize it as, oh, well, this is just like, I'm just going through a rough patch too. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, back to our, our, when we had our, um, meet our co-host episodes at the very, very (laughs) beginning, I told my story of my first DNF where I had a rough patch with some gut issues and, and dropped, not realizing that five minutes of later they were gone and I could have kept going. Right. right? And that was one of my real significant learning experiences. So that's Mm -hmm. what I was kind of hoping with this. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yes, it's an orthopedic thing. Yes. It's an ankle. You (laughs) literally blew out, um, you know, uh, six weeks ago, like my whole foot was black. I definitely had torn some ligaments, but I was like, oh, it's, it's fine. Like you can only tear ligaments once, right? Like (laughs) 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 it's going to be sore, but I can't, it's fine. Like, it's just a little wobbly. So I'm continuing on and things are, are starting to get worse. And I also, um, was starting to question that, okay, you know, when you're starting to feel crummy, I'm starting to feel pukey as, you know, we've talked about this a lot on this show, like in, you know, in the later part of his, of an ultra, you're not digesting things well. And I was at high altitude at that point. And, and I did start to have those thoughts in my head, like, Oh, I want to quit. like, I just want to drop out. Mm. At this point I was now, Oh, very remote. It was a 62 kilometer stretch with two aid stations, no, two or three that were all hiking. Like they were like the volunteers had to hike in up 15 K just to get to the aid stations and carry everything on their backs to those aid stations. So there was really no outs in this area. Like if you're dropping, you're pretty Mm. much going the distance anyways. Right. Yeah. And so I'm like, Oh, I'm way up here. Literally like no cell service, no nothing in the middle of nowhere with very little support. Got to keep going anyways. Like I have no choice. Nobody's coming to save you here. So I'm moving along, but I'm like, this is not fun. Like this is really, I'm I'm not liking this. Uh And then I'm starting to have these thoughts in my head of, okay, I'm ignoring the pain, but then I'm like, maybe I'm manifesting this pain as an excuse. Right. Maybe this pain actually isn't that bad, but I'm now focusing on it because I actually deep down want to quit. 
Mm. And as soon as I had that awareness, I was like, okay, compartmentalize this. We got to box this. We got to go, okay, there's this discomfort over here, which is my ankle pain. Mm. And then there's the, the fatigue, the pukey, the I'm tired, the, okay, the sun's now coming up and I'm not as far along the course as I wanted to be at this point. And are they, are they related? Are they not related? What are you doing with your head here, Kim? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I knew my ankle was getting worse and I was in denial on that. Uh, I was starting to have pains in my joint, in my joint line, which were worrying me. So as a physio, I knew that I had a high ankle sprain and cartilage defects and damage were a risk. And I was starting to worry about something called osteochondritis desiccans, which is where the cartilage on the dome of the talus in the foot starts to get defects in it. And it can, it can stop your career, right? Like Mm -hmm. uh, the treatment for it is Mm -hmm. to drill holes into the top of the talus to stimulate like blood and stem cell, Mm -hmm. like regeneration of the cartilage. Like it's the weight bearing part of your foot. And Mm -hmm. when, when you mess that up, you don't come back from it. And I was starting to worry about that. So anyhow, I, but I knew, I was like, I can't quit when I want to quit. Like they say, never quit sitting down. You can't ever drop at an aid station. <laughs> you need to make sure that you are like, and I always have gone off on rants too, on reasons versus excuses. I'm like, am I using this foot thing as an excuse right. or is it a reason? Right. And as I was like struggling with this, like internal dialogue, the sun's now dawning over Heather Trail, which is hands down the most stunning thing I've ever experienced in my life. You are in the middle of nowhere. The sky is full of stars. The sky's mm. turning pink. There's wildflowers up in this meadow. They were late this year because the snowpack melted late. And so they were mm-hmm. about a month later than normal. So we're lupins and I don't even know the names of them all, red, mm-hmm. purple, white, like these flowers are just lush everywhere. And it had dropped just below zero, which a lot of people would find that challenging. But to me, it was fine. I, I actually really like being cold uh, in a run. And and there was like frost, just a the fine layer of frost glistening on these flowers. And as the sun started coming up, it was kind of like melting in their little droplets. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I was having a psychedelic trip. Like I was already now almost 24 hours, well, no, 19 hours into this race, but still fatigued, right? Mm -hmm. And I was just stunned with the beauty and I felt so lucky to be there and so grateful that I was out on this trail. And as I'm kind of hobbling with my my way down this this little like riverbed ravine area, my buddy Ehor and his pacer Christian, they were leading the race. They were coming back up the trail. It was a little oh. bit of a lollipop that we were doing at that point, mm-hmm. and they were coming back. And I just saw them coming with the glowing kind of dawn behind them, looking so strong and so like in control. And he comes up to me and like, Ehor. And I didn't know, like the, the lead runners were, I knew they'd be coming back, but I didn't know at what time. And I didn't know where maybe I'd entered that lollipop section after the first person had gone through. So I wasn't a hundred percent sure if Ehor was in the lead. So I said, are you leading the race? He's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay then. And so I wished them well and off they go. And as soon as they went off, I got such a boost from that. I was just like, Oh my goodness. Like, game on. Like, this is, this is happening. I'm like, I've got this. And I was like, all thoughts of quitting were like out of my head. Boom. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I had a rush of adrenaline and I just felt great. And I start trying to run now 
down this section towards Nickaman Lake, which, which is a significant descent mm-hmm. and highly technical. And also back in 2016, I hammered that section. I was felt awesome. Granted, I wasn't as far into the race because I only did the 70 miler, but I just remember mm-hmm. that being my favorite part of the race. Yeah. And as I'm going down this section, I mean, I couldn't even, I had to think about every single footstep. Mm-hmm. There was like pole, pole, good foot. And then in my tripod stance, try to get my right foot down yeah. without, you know, very carefully not rolling it, not turning it, not letting it hyperflex too much. I could still climb fine because I could lock my foot out like solidly and like not move my ankle, but going mm-hmm. down just created the type of shearing stress that stresses that, that high ankle, like yeah. the, the tailor, the mortise yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to wonder if being a physiotherapist is an asset or a liability (laughs) in this situation, because like you said, you started off the story by saying like, you do have to have almost like an irrational belief in yourself, like to get through this monstrous distance. And then at the, so you're going to experience aches and pains along Mm -hmm, the way, right? mm -hmm. They're normal. And, And so it's very nuanced about what aches and pains you really need to like pay attention to and what ones you should override, right? To just get through it. And so I would think that knowing so much, like knowing everything you know about the ankle and and everything that could happen long term Mm -hmm. and all Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. might be just like, you almost have to split yourself into two people. Okay, now I'm the physiotherapist. Okay, Mm -hmm. now I'm the runner. And that's like really, really hard to do. Like we do not see ourselves objectively. It is. Ever. (laughs) And so especially in a situation like that. And yet you must wonder when do I trust these thoughts and feelings and physical Mm -hmm. sensations? Mm -hmm. And when don't I? Because you can like see the sun coming up and see Ehor and get this huge boost of energy and feel like a million bucks and then not feel like a million bucks. Like the external circumstances can change slightly and then you're, you're feeling terrible and then you're feeling great. And so mm-hmm. like what's mm-hmm. real and what's not, I guess. Well, that's exactly it. That's exactly what I wrote in my race report. I was like, I was starting to really question what's real. Like, is this, mm-hmm. is this pain real? Like, is it, or is it, am I just manifesting it? And, you right. know, so I actually, you talk about it being an asset or a liability. I think it can be both. It can be an asset and then it can keep you from damaging yourself further. Mm-hmm. It can be a liability in that sometimes we know certain pains that aren't that important. So mm-hmm. and push through them a little too much. So I sat down as I was like moving to me disappointingly, right? Like I wasn't moving the way I wanted to be at that point. And I wanted to, at this point, I desperately wanted to, I was trying to push, I was trying to go. And I sat down on this log and I was like, okay, we've got to check in with this. What's real. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's real. So I pulled down my sock. I started poking around with my finger, right? Because at that mm-hmm. point I had, I didn't want to look at it. I don't want to see it. I didn't want to know if it was swollen. And I looked at my ankle and I'm like, okay, there's still veins there. Yep. My foot is still, my foot is not like a balloon, but there was this strip of swelling right around the anterior joint line. That was mm-hmm. really unusual. Like when I sprained my ankle six weeks previously, it was your classic lateral ankle sprain with mm-hmm. this big goose mm-hmm. egg on the side of your ankle bone. But if I hadn't high ankle sprained it, then I knew I had it during the race. Like, like, like it was, it was unusual. And I start poking around. I'm like, okay, this tendon sore, 
but no one ever died of tendonitis. Like you can run through tendonitis. Like it might be pain, but the tendon is still going to work, right? Mm -hmm. Like the bone, the the muscle's not torn. So I dismissed that pain. And that's why I say the physio mind could be a liability because I'm just like, Mm -hmm. that's not important. But then my hands hit the cartilage. I pointed, I, I know how to mope the joints. So my thumb went in where I knew the cartilage was and it was just gross. Like it was gross. And my heart just sank. And I was like, Kim, don't be a blanket idiot. Like you're now dealing with an injury that could end your running career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that was hard because I had reached that point of wanting to go. But you talk about putting things in boxes. Now yeah. I, I, I took out the orthopedic box and I was dealing with that. And I'm like, okay, I really want to go, but this is not wise. So as I started, it was another, well, I made it to Nickham and then from there it was another 10K down to the, the closest aid station that I could get to a road within seven kilometers right? So the closest aid station to a road was still seven kilometers from the road. And that was still 10K from where I was. So I had to like get myself to there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going down and I was still moving decently. That was the hardest pill to swallow. I passed two people in that section. Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm dealing with this pain and I know that it's over, but I'm still moving decently. And so I, I was starting to hallucinate at this point. I'm seeing bridges where, cause I want, just wanted to get to the river, got yeah. to the river and I knew it was not smart to keep going. So yeah, I won't go into the details of, the, of what happened after then, but I, mm-hmm. I had to drop. And yeah, I, I think the theme of that is that I couldn't let myself do it until I didn't want to. It, it's an interesting psychological thought experiment when it comes to that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, now many people will have different experiences with, with DNFs. Um, I had a DNF last year too. So we were, you know, we've talked a bit about, you can have these one-offs that are six years apart, but then you, if, if you have a few of them closer together, mm-hmm. that's when I really start questioning, is this mm-hmm. real? Is this not? Am I hyper-focusing on this thing and making it bigger than it is so that I have an right. excuse? right? (laughs) To drop. Or is this a valid, like you're damaging your body or like they're okay. So let's talk about that, Carolyn. What are some reasons why people DNF that isn't just a, I'm not having fun. This is over. So Mm -hmm. there's damaging your body. Let's talk about, um, road running. Okay. So you had an experience in the pandemic with virtual marathon mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. ended up not completing for entirely different reasons. Entirely right? different, like not even the same yeah. at all. <laughs> we talked about this on, in another episode, but let's just go back there and review. So mm-hmm. tell us about your virtual marathon that you did mm-hmm. and what happened there. Yeah. So the Coles notes were, I was signed up for the Chicago marathon, very excited about it. It had been a long time since I'd ran a marathon. So I was going through the charity route. So I was raising money for 261 Fearless, which was a charity I really, really Mm -hmm. believed in. And I was so excited about running Chicago and I was well-trained and super excited about it. And then the pandemic hit. Chicago held out, they held out. I kept training, I kept training. And eventually they canceled the race and 
because I was raising money for the charity, I felt like I still should run the race somewhere. And so as luck would have it, Manitoba Marathon changed their date to to be right on the same day that Chicago would have been. So I was like, this is perfect. I'll just run Manitoba Marathon. This is so great. And then at the very last minute, they changed it to a virtual because of the pandemic. So I was like, dang it, like now I have to run this as a virtual. So in this whole, the reason I tell that story is that in this process, I forgot to sort of update my why. My why was never to run a virtual marathon. That sounds like absolute torture to me. Like Mm -hmm. the reasons Mm -hmm. that I run, I'm very clear on them and I'm Mm -hmm. unapologetic about them. Like I'm not running to finish the race. And that's no slight on anyone that runs to finish a marathon. I have mad respect for all reasons that people run. But I think you have to know what those are. And my reason for running was never, ever to, oh, I wonder if I can complete a marathon. I already know that. Right. My reason for running was, can I run the fastest marathon, even though I'm getting older, I mm-hmm. feel like my mm-hmm. marathon PB is soft. And I thought, oh, if, there, if I'm going to PB in anything, it's probably going to be the marathon because I'm getting older, right? Like okay. I'm yeah. probably not going to see my 5K PB <laughs> ever yeah. again. But I think my marathon PB, A, was soft to begin with, and B, you get a little bit better through the years, especially I'm not like that old. Um, you get a little bit better as your aerobic system gets better. So I thought, you know, I, I'd love to run a flat, fast marathon. That's mm-hmm. my why. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's where running the Manitoba Marathon still lined up with Chicago. It was flat and all the rest of it. But then as a virtual, I'm like, okay, now I have to, like, I don't have road closures. I don't, and I started to realize this is what you pay for with a Mm -hmm. marathon. Mm -hmm. You pay for a safe course that you don't have to like stop at stoplights and stuff like that. Like it was just very interesting as I was planning out my own virtual. I'm like realizing like this isn't, you know, so I, I did my best. I pulled the course together. I got my husband on the bike for, for safety and all that stuff. But you also pay for an atmosphere that's going to help you get the best out of yourself. And I realized as I was doing 14 kilometer loops three times around my neighborhood, basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is boring. Like no one's out here with me and I'm not getting what I normally get out of a, a race experience in a race atmosphere. And yeah. and so it yeah. made it that much harder to get the best out of myself. So as it was going on and on and my pace was getting slower and slower, like, again, those thoughts that you talk about were similar, but I didn't feel like I was injuring myself. It wasn't that. It was that, you know, I, I'm getting slower and slower and this isn't even like aligned with why I was doing this in the first place. This is so different from mm-hmm. the thing mm-hmm. I thought I was signing up mm-hmm. for mm-hmm eight months ago or whatever. Right. right. So it became very difficult to like, why bother kind of push through that pain when it wasn't going to serve my purpose in the end. Which is interesting. You know, I think your experience of being a virtual event and your goals is somewhat unique, although many people did virtual events throughout Mm -hmm. the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But let's translate that to say you were in an official race Mm -hmm. and you were noticing that your you know, your ABC goals were starting to slip away. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a harder, like, we, you know, after you DNF, there's always some embarrassment, some yes. shame, yes. some, <laughs> how do I tell this story? What do I post on social media? You yeah. know, it's like, especially if you've made a big deal of it before, which I often do which because I did. that's, that's <laughs> my pride. I'm like, if I don't make a big deal of this, 
if I do, I mean, mm. then that it's going to give me even more reason to yeah, finish because yeah. I like don't want to have to tell a story I don't like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So in that context, which is the harder thing to swallow? The finish that is a time that is potentially disappointing to you, like an, or a DNF? In that particular case, I don't regret DNFing, honestly. Mm-hmm. But if I was, even if I was running the real race, whether it was Manitoba or Chicago, mm-hmm. I definitely think I would have finished and taken the the crappy time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Now, say you have multiple events stacked up throughout the summer and you have, you know, you're in an event that isn't your A race, your A goal. Mm-hmm. Um, is the DNF sometimes supportive or, you know, does it actually help you to achieve the next goal if you realize that mm-hmm. you could cost your next race or you could cost? So, for example, for me, it wasn't the next immediate race I was looking at, at sacrificing. It was my entire running career. So for me, I was like, <laughs> if I don't stop, I could blow this ankle out so bad that I could actually need surgery. So right. this is not And then it becomes it easy. Yeah. It yeah, becomes easy to make that decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, thinking of, you know, some of the elites or some more competitive runners who have multiple events, you know, maybe one every month or every few weeks. Um, yeah. It's got to be a little bit of a different um, decision making process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I uh, like for sure. I mean, this isn't necessarily if you're listening, this might not not be you, but for sure, elite mm-hmm. people will mm-hmm. make that decision. And, and it's wise to drop out of a race sometimes to save your body. You know, if you drop out at 16 miles or something like that, it's a much easier recovery. And then you can mm-hmm. turn around and race something else in a few weeks or, or a month. Whereas if you've you know, drag yourself through the finish, you're still even though so now you're disappointed with your time and you have a pro you're looking at a prolonged recovery good before point. you're good to go yeah. again. And so yeah. sometimes it is the right thing to do, especially on the elite side. Yeah. So what happens when these DNFs start happening frequently? Like it can sometimes get too easy to say, okay, this isn't my dream day. So I'm just yes. going to pull like, how can somebody, what do you tell your, your athletes when you're coaching, when you started to see a string of, of yeah. disappointing performances, how does somebody pull themselves out of that? Mm. Well, it, that's, that's a good uh, question. And I want to put it into the context of something you said before. So you said sometimes for yourself or maybe for ultra runners, it's like, harder to DNF than it is to keep going. Like Mm -hmm. you're so Mm -hmm. hell bent on not DNFing that Mm -hmm. actually deciding to DNF is the hardest thing ever. Right. Right. And just like anything, once you've done something once, it's easier to do it again. Exactly. (laughs) Right. And so it can become something that I don't want to say it becomes habitual, but it becomes much easier to make that decision in the future. And that's where I think if we start seeing a pattern of DNFing, like, oh, it got a little bit hard and then I quit, or I fell off my pace by five seconds per mile and then I quit. Like that's when you have to start revisiting that why or having conversations with your coach. So when I have athletes that I've seen that pattern happen in, we we have a conversation and we do, we look at the why, we revisit it. And, and sometimes I may have them actually go in a race. Maybe it's not their goal race, or maybe, you know, it's not the distance. Like let's say they're training for a marathon or something. I may have them do a half marathon as a tune-up race or a practice race where 
you know, we really work on because rarely does a DNF happen like in a silo. There are signs along oh, the way, yes. right? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and so not just in the race, but all in the training leading up to it, mm-hmm. I'm really mm-hmm. um, interested in where their mind is at. So yeah. that could be in a hard workout. Like I get people to to record this in their in their training log a lot of the time is like, where is your head at? before this workout that looks like this big monster scary workout on paper like did you procrastinate mm-hmm. did you leave it till later mm-hmm. in the day push it to tomorrow like there's clues in even that that mm-hmm. we can look at that may sort of like lead to an eventual dnf because those thoughts become habitual yes i can't yes. do this this is so scary yeah. like you yeah. know the and so but if we if we don't know that those thoughts are happening then they remain completely subconscious. Yes. Right. And we just think, oh my goodness, where did this DNF come from? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when we start to excavate and mine for some of those clues that were happening along the way, whether that's mm-hmm. in the training itself, but more often, like you say, for, for for the marathon or in my case anyway, it was more on the mental side than the physical side. Oh, and that's right? usually the way it is. It's very rare that it's a true physical reason to DNF. I mean, well, but yours sounds fit. Yours it sounded was, physical. It was, like but to I'm me, that's that- a black and white. Like well, I, I don't have any like judgment for you. Not that I ever have any judgment for anyone if they pull out of a race, except for myself, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a whole other issue. Um, but like, it makes perfect sense to me why you pulled out of that. Well, Perfect and sense. to you it does, but to me in the moment and to ultra mm. runners who push ourselves through not just discomfort, but genuine pain and often injury, let's be honest, mm-hmm. often injury yeah. many times, um, it wasn't black and white. Um, mm-hmm. So usually though, DNFs start in the mind and then they all yes. end in the mind, right? With and those little, little quits. The, like oh, what exactly. Dave, Dave yes. Proctor talked about this in his episode. Uh, I'll put, I'll link it in the show notes, but he talked about it before he ran across Canada this time in mm-hmm. 2022. He he did a lot of work with a sports psychologist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, working on, because again, you always know when you're quitting, right? That, and it may not be obvious to other people. Yeah. Or are you orchestrating a situation with little quits that leads you to a big quit without consciously realizing it? Like, do you stop drinking on schedule? Do you stop hydrating on schedule? Did you maybe stay up too late the night before the race? (laughs) You know, and you just didn't prioritize the certain things that you needed to do. These are all little quits. And then when you get to the point that, you know, the big quit happens, well, yeah, I actually quit on myself in a few other areas and it can go as far back as into your training even. Oh, absolutely. And it's so hard in the moment to be rational or objective about it. I found personally, like my DNF in the marathon happened, in the virtual happened in 2020. Mm -hmm. And now that it's been almost two years, Mm -hmm. like I've really gone back and thought about it a lot and, and gotten some perspective with the time horizon being okay, a bit so let's longer. Talk about that. Like what an athlete does after a DNF, how much dwelling on it is productive? How much dwelling mm. on it becomes unproductive? What should a person do after a DNF? Should we go back and try to figure out why? Should we just block it out and move on? Like 
what should an athlete do after DNF? I, I think that there's so much to mine for. There's so many lessons to mine for, especially mm-hmm. in the DNFs and the disappointing races. That's where mm-hmm. all the learning comes from. Like we learn very little from the races that go perfectly according yep. to plan. Very yep. little. Let's be honest. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, yay, I did so great. Like, And what we learn is often I did this right Right. In the context of doing it wrong before, like you don't necessarily know you did something right until you had already done it wrong before. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So I think number one, first and foremost, like a lot of people want to just block it out and move on and pretend it didn't happen. I think there's a lot in the emotional side of the DNF. If you're disappointed, be friggin' disappointed. Like, don't pretend you're not. Don't mm-hmm. say, oh, there's a silver lining for everything. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, this happened for a reason allow yourself to feel the feelings, right? Because again, Mm -hmm. if you're holding those in, it's sort of like holding a beach ball underwater. (laughs) Like you can do it. And eventually it's going to come up. It takes a lot of energy and it's going to get tiring and it's going to come up and splash you in the face. So cry, vent, journal, talk to someone, whatever, like whatever healthy way that you can process your feelings, go for it. And then I think it sort of makes a clearing to be able to see it a little bit more objectively and say like, so in my case, as I've gotten more perspective on it, I'm like, I don't actually think my training was as good as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. I went back Mm -hmm. and looked, I trained myself for Mm -hmm. it and and I'm a running coach. So I had a lot Mm -hmm. of like, yep, this, I did great training. This was like the perfectly Mm -hmm. written training program. I, and I have no issues with like motivation or anything like that. So I did Mm -hmm. everything that I had written for myself for the most part. But then when I, you know, I've, I'm always learning and about coaching and I'm like, you know what? I think I was a little bit undertrained for that race. I didn't do enough mileage. I didn't do enough long runs. I didn't do long enough long runs. I think that's what it was. And so that's not big, bad or scary. That's just, let's do some more long runs (laughs) the next training cycle, which I have. And so I think there's, again, process your feelings. You have to, or they will bubble up somehow and splash and hit you in the face. And, um, and then try to mine for any lessons that you can apply to the next training cycle. That's it. Which can potentially prevent those string of DNFs from happening. The beach ball bouncing up over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and if I do see someone that that's happened to a couple times in close proximity, we'll, I'll say like, no DNFing like this, this, you are finishing this no matter what, because I think there is, I think you asked this earlier, like there is a certain amount of pride that can come from just knowing that you've gotten over this way of thinking or having the DNF be an option, barring of course, like any physical long lasting injury or or something like that. But just the, yep, I did it. And my time was slow because I know that's a thing for a lot of road runners. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes knowing that my time was slow, but I finished it and the sun came up tomorrow is like the most valuable lesson you can learn because it's really not a big deal. (laughs) Right? Yeah. It's just running. Yeah. It's just running. Exactly. So yeah, DNFs happen. They happen in any distance, any genre of runner, it can happen. Um, I think we've, we've talked about the value in, in dissecting and thinking about them, but not dwelling on it for too long. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd like to just close this kind of 
mini discussion we've had on DNFs with a quote that I actually read in the book Finding Me by Viola Davis. And it wasn't her quote. It was somebody else that said it, but it was something to the effect of forgiveness is giving up all hope of a different past. And I think it's really important for our, for runners, for all of us, that when we have that race that isn't go doesn't go ideally, that we just forgive ourselves for the little mm-hmm. quits, for the things that we couldn't control, and we realize that yeah, we put so much hope and so much energy and so much effort into trying to create a story that didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, but it's over. It's in the past. Mm-hmm. We can't change mm-hmm. the past. We just have to move forward. So having that 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 grace, that self forgiveness, um, not carrying that with you going forward, um, yeah. I think can really help a person bounce back um, in a productive way. So yes, to all of you runners out there that maybe had uh, a race that didn't go the way you planned this summer, um, or maybe two or three races that didn't go mm-hmm. the way you planned, it's in the past. We have a whole new season coming up, and as you start to plan your twenty twenty. 23 race season this fall and winter. Hopefully we can all learn from some of the things that happened to us this year mm-hmm. and uh, have a successful future. Absolutely. And I think too, one more thing is uh, talking about it, talking about yes. it. I always yes. appreciate on social media, especially when people will say and admit like I had a DNF, here's what happened. Like mm-hmm. I find those posts so relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there isn't a person who hasn't experienced this, but when someone can talk about it and share and help someone else. So that's a, another sort of lesson, like put it out there, be honest, be open, be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And you never know who you might help in the process. Right. And, and that can be part of, of coming to terms with it as well. 